Amen. Thank you, Taylor. And thanks, Bill. Guys, just look at Bill's muscles. He makes us look like it's easy. It's not. That table is deceptively, it's pretty light, but <laughs> you're still strong, Bill. You, you definitely work out more than I do, and it shows. It shows. That's why I'm scrawny and Bill's Bill. Um, so it's good to be with you guys. Um, as Taylor said, we are kind of taking this like big step back, this kind of we're going to take the 10,000-foot approach to ask the question again, why are we talking about spiritual disciplines? Why do we as a pastoral team and as a leadership team as a church feel like it's important for us to be focusing in on spiritual disciplines? Uh, we've, we've done so last year in the Art of Following Jesus, and we picked 12 disciplines that we thought were important, and we're revisiting some of those again and diving deeper further into uh, a few of those now through the summer. So as you know, we've been talking about um, prayer, scripture, and simplicity. Uh, but before we enter into the last one, again, on generosity, we thought it was appropriate to, again, as I said, take this kind of step back, this 10,000-foot overview, and ask the question, why? Why do we spend so much time, attention, energy, effort into this? Why is it so important? Why do we think that this is pastorally relevant, culturally relevant? How do we think it's going to cultivate us as a community into being the type of people that Jesus has called us to be? Uh, and in doing so, uh, I want to find the answer to that, or a answer to that, in Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's just this beautiful passage that Jesus is inviting us into. So in this, in this uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, we're going to look at the passage about us being the salt of the earth and light of the world. And I want to make a few observations about that passage, uh, and then I want to explicitly draw that connection to us and why we're focusing on the spiritual disciplines. Um, so that's what we're going to do. And we've never done this before, as far as I know. But as a church, um, I'm going to read the passage for us today. We've done that before. But what I'm going to invite you to do is to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. So we're going to stand, and I want to read to you the full introduction. Uh, and want you to hear it, as, as Jesus um, said to his crowd. It's rather long, uh, but just enjoy it. It's Jesus. So this is Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Living God, um, we believe that, um, yeah, your son has spoke these words and in them there is instruction for life and living it fully. And so we ask in your loving mercy and kindness that you would help us to understand this text and apply it to our lives. For we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. So I have three observations about this text. We're going to focus in on the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The first observation I have for us is that Jesus claiming that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world is a radically audacious claim. Radically audacious. You may know the importance of salt and light. Of course, we need salt, we need light. They needed it back then. It was so important that the Romans had a common phrase that there's nothing more important than salt and light. There's nothing more important, there's nothing more valuable than salt and light. And in Latin, it's sale et sole, right? There's nothing more important than sale et sole. It sounds, you know, it sounds like it flows well, right? So it's catchy and it sticks. And if Jesus has this in the back of his mind, which I think he does, he is saying to his disciples, do you hear the echoes? There's nothing more important for this world than you. That's audacious. That's a big claim. There's nothing more important than you. For this world, if you are the salt of the earth, if you are the light of the world, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the earth, there's nothing more valuable than you. That's big. It's audacious, for one, because of the person who's sharing it. And the way that Matthew has arranged his gospel, this is very early on in Jesus' life and teaching. His disciples probably don't even fully know. They don't fully understand yet who this person is, the Messiah. This is someone who came from Nazareth, this kind of podunk town that you wouldn't expect anything to come from. And here he comes and saying, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He's teaching as if someone who had authority, all authority that they've never seen before. Audacious, yes. It's audacious also because this is language that you would imagine to be reserved only for Jesus, only for God. Because indeed it is language that's used of God. And John's gospel, in his introduction, he says that Jesus is the light who has come into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. He is. He's the light of the world. In him is fullness of light. And Revelation talks about him coming again, and it's his light, his glory that shines, that illuminates everything. Jesus is the light of the world, and yet here he stands and looks at his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. You are are the salt of the earth. You. It's audacious again because we think about the people that Jesus is talking to. I mean, these people are, I mean, they're just ordinary people. You would think that a claim like this would go to perhaps the, you know, 
maybe the, the noble elites, someone who came from a long line of family birth that has lived in this high position that has this name that, you know, okay, that family has been in power forever. That family has so much cultural influence and, and authority. Not to them. These disciples weren't like that. Or you would imagine it's someone with high economic power, someone who has really controlled the market. These weren't these guys. These disciples, like most of the people living at that time, were living paycheck to paycheck, day to day. They're just trying to survive. You were happy if you had your meals planned for the foreseeable future. Maybe it was the political elite, not these guys. They're not high connected to the political authorities. You think maybe it's the religious elite then. No, most of these guys aren't. Most of these women aren't. They're just ordinary people. They're just ordinary people like you and me. And Jesus looks at this group of ordinary people just like us and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In the text in Greek, this you is, is emphasized. You and only you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A radically audacious claim. Now, why you? Why us? Why his disciples? Why those following him? The answer of that is those who belong to the kingdom, right? Those who belong to the kingdom of God are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And there's characteristics that Jesus is shaping us into as we live in the kingdom. And that's why I had us all read and stand as we listen to the Beatitudes at the start. This is how Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount. It starts with this list of characteristics. This is what defines those who belong to the kingdom. This is defined what the good life really is. It's the Beatitude people, those who are following him who are Beatitude people, that are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and light of the world, those who are poor in spirit. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world are those who mourn. The salt of the earth and light of the world are the meek. The salt of the earth and light of the world are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The salt of the earth and light of the world are the merciful. The salt of the earth and light of the world are those who are pure in heart. The salt of the earth and light of the world are the peacemakers. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, doesn't this change our framework a little bit? When we think about, okay, the type of people that Jesus is inviting into his kingdom, the type of people that are the salt and the light, they're beatitude people. It's not always the same framework that we have are, are the real culture makers of the world. The people that Jesus is calling to be salt and light are beatitude people. It is a radically audacious claim. You and I have the capacity, have the potential, are invited into, are told that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The echoes of Jesus is saying there is nothing more important for this world than you. Well, that's beautiful. Also convicting. 
also adventureful and wonderful. What a great call that we have. We have a high call. It's not a low call. It really matters what we do with our light because you and only you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The world needs you. The earth needs you. You and only you. Observation number one. This is a radically audacious claim that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Observation number two. Both of these metaphors give us a rather uh, dim picture of the world outside of God. Both of these metaphors here and their depiction of the earth and the world is rather rather uh, glum, rather dim. The salt metaphor says that the world is going towards decay. The world is going to spoil. The world is going sour. It's not looking great. The light metaphor, the world is going towards darkness or is in darkness. Both of these images of the world are not particularly positive, are they? It's kind of depressing a little bit. We like to think of the world as just awesome and good and full of life and amazing. And it's not always fun to be the one that says, again, let's listen to the words of Jesus. It's not. Salt is needed. Light is needed because the world is going towards decay and darkness. Now, why is Jesus saying this? It's because the world, as we all know, because... You've probably heard it before. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. Sin is this decision that we have to do life apart from God, life away from God. As sin enters the world, so too then our feeble efforts, our efforts become feeble. That's it. We cannot do what we intend to do, but God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We live in this broken and fallen world. Now, again, we don't like to think that way. We generally like to think positively. We like to think that, you know, people are amazing. They're good. You know, they do some bad stuff, but let's not focus on that. It's just, it's good. You know, we think that at times. And then for me, I get stuck behind someone. And No, it's not get stuck. When someone tries to cut me off in traffic, that's when I know that I really need Jesus in my life because my anger flares. It really does. It's bad. I need to work on it. But it's like someone, you just feel like, justice, you know, you want them to pull over. Or the one person who like, um, this isn't that relevant, but I'm just on a roll. The one person that goes to the self-checkout line, that's the express checkout line and puts like 25 things on the conveyor belt. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, this is not for you, bud. Please don't be that person. Or at least just don't do it in front of me. Um, So the world is evil. Um, But here's the point. The world is going towards decay because people are deciding to do things away from God, apart from God. This is the natural response of sin. And we see this throughout scriptures. It's a a motif. It's throughout the whole scriptures. We see, for example, in Psalm 2. This psalm is an introduction to the whole Psalter and it kind of sets up the image of the Psalter. And it says, why did the nations rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? against the Lord and against his anointed. The kings are gathered together and the leaders are taking counsel. 
So the leaders and the councils, the peoples of the world are getting together and they say, let us throw off the shackles and let us throw off the chains of God. They're saying, let us do life away from God. We feel like we're in bondage to him, but really we can do better if we throw off those shackles, if we throw off the chains, if we're liberated and free, we can do better. We, we got this. And claiming to be wise and claiming wisdom, become foolish and exchange the glory of the immortal God for created things that we worship. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1, same thing. This is his argument in the later paragraphs of Romans chapter 1, is people have exchanged the glory of God for created things. What we are intended to worship and love and adore and what God does and changes for us, we leave that thinking, okay, I can do better in that. I've got it. And so we go on our own. And then God gives us over to the desires of our heart. And it ends with what we're left with. Envy, rage, jealousy, murder, strife. The world left to itself is going towards decay. Because we are broken, because we are sinful, we create things, we create systems that are sinful, that are broken. And before any of us think it's just outside of us, before we think this is just something that's, we're, we're in the church, we're good, that's a, that's a them problem, it's not. The prophet Jeremiah gives pretty much the exact same call from, his, uh, from Jeremiah to the people of God. This is God saying from the prophet Jeremiah, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Did you hear it? They've left God. They've forsaken him. They followed worthless idols. And then they're trying to build cisterns for themselves, but their cisterns can't hold water. We are trying to do things for ourselves that we can't actually do. It's broken. It's going to lead towards decay, destruction, and darkness. The world outside of God, left to ourselves, goes towards decay and darkness. Now, that's an audio clip that we won't post on social media, right? No, we don't like talking about this. Of course. But this is what the image of God that, or the image of the world, sorry, that Jesus gives this is the reality of the world, the world left to itself. But God does for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. So let's take one, one example of this. In every single culture, it feels like has the, the confidence or maybe the hubris to think we can create a perfect society or we can create the best society the world has ever seen. And we see this throughout time. Everyone thinks, okay, if we just do this, then we've got it. If we just have this family structure, if we just have these ideals, if we just have this policy, we're going to create the best like society or structure or system or city. And we see that tension right now in our current political climate as well. Right? We see the right side and the left side. Both sides are saying, if those dummies over there just got it figured out, if we just acted in our society this way, we would have the perfect society. We'd build it. It would be great. we figure it out. Right? No. We can't do it. It's broken. Our actions like this are broken, and we need God to come in and build for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is the promise of God. 
there will be a day when that perfect city is built, when that perfect society comes into function, when God restores all things again. When we live in that society, God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The world is going towards darkness and decay. Not so pretty. But this is why the audacious claim becomes all the more important. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are mediators of grace in the world. That future reality can get expressed now through you. The future reality of all things being made right, the future reality of those who belong to the kingdom of God live into that reality now. You mediate God's grace, Jesus through you. Now that is incredible. The world desperately needs you. Desperately needs you as salt, you as light. So observation number one, this is a radically audacious claim of Jesus. Observation number two, the world left to itself is going towards decay and darkness. Observation number three, the need for salt and light invites us into an inward reflection and outward expression. So both inward reflection and outward expression are implied in both of these metaphors. Okay, so let's, let's look at salt. Uh, just for the sake of time, let's just focus in on, on salt and the metaphor of salt. So when Jesus says, uh, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This question implies the, the insightful reflection of do I have impurities in my own heart? And this is plural as well, so it also invites the communal reflection. Do we have impurities in our own heart and life? As you may well know, salt at that time was used to enhance flavor of food, of course, but it was also used to preserve food. Of course, you probably understood this or picked it up as we've been talking about it, but there was no refrigeration system back then, so if you wanted to preserve a piece of meat for a long time, you would have to cure it with salt. Of course, we know this. We still see it today. A lot of cultures around the world do this, um, like prosciutto, hamoni berico, things like this, right? We have these meats that are cured with salt that last for a really long time, um, and this was used back then as well. So if you want to preserve meats or vegetables, you need salt. The salt that was used for this uh, in this geographical area was often taken from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, as we know, is a very salty place. Um, so if you're taking the salt from the Dead Sea, what would happen, though, is that these kind of granulated white crystals oftentimes would have other minerals or compounds or things in it that were not detectable because it looked the same, but it would... Uh, diminish the properties of the salt so that it could not do what it was intended to do. So if you stuck this on the meat and there's a bunch of impurities in there, the meat would not keep, it would go bad. It would go sour, or not go sour. I hope does meat go sour? I don't know. It would go bad. It would spoil. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> the meat would spoil. So Jesus is inviting us into that question. And the question for, for the church today is, are there other compounds that are 
or other properties, other minerals in us as salt that we think, okay, I need to purify this. I need to refine this. My life or our cultural witness is not being all that is intended to be to be the salt of the world. That's the inward reflection that Jesus is inviting us into and the journey that we're on then is, okay, what are the, you know, examine our own lives. And this is what we've been talking about and doing and often do is, are there habits in my life that I need to change? Are there practices in my life? Are there sources of information in my life? Are there different things that I want to desire? All of this stuff, what Jesus is shaping us into and inviting us into is this reflection of, is my life pure? Am I being sanctified? Am I being made more and more into this beatitude person that Jesus is shaping us into? The same thing happens with the light metaphor. It's, is our light shining brightly? But the salt, the question, the first question is that inward journey of sanctification and being made holy of God changing us. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. The second is the outward journey, right? And this is also a main focus, right? For salt to be effective, salt needs to be in contact with the meat. (laughs) Sounds like an obvious point, right? For salt to be effective, it needs to be in contact with the meat. Salt's no good in the salt shaker. If it's just staying there, it's not going to preserve the meat. Salt needs to be in contact with the meat. I mean, with every area and corner and crevice of the meat for it to really preserve. Salt needs to be in contact with the meat. Which means you, as salt, are placed in the corner and sector of society, of this city, to be salt where you are. Where you are, you are salt to preserve it. You with your family, you are the salt in your family. You in your business, wherever you do for your work, you are the salt there. You at your schools, in your classrooms, with your teachers, with your friends, you are the salt there. You at your Pilates class or whatever you're doing at Pickleball. Everyone plays Pickleball now. You are the salt there. Everywhere you go, in every corner of society, you are the salt of the earth. Salt needs to be in contact with the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let's continue the metaphor here. So salt preserves, we know that. Salt also gives flavor, right? It, well not, it doesn't give flavor. It enhances the flavor that's already there. We all know this with cooking. So salt brings out the flavor. If you have a meal that's unsalted, it like just tastes a bit dull, I guess. Or you always feel like that awkward moment if you're ever at someone's house and you feel like this could have been a little bit better with some salt. Has anyone ever experienced that? No, of course not, because we're all great cooks. Um, But it's the idea that salt enhances flavor. It enhances the good things that are already present. Okay? Our lives as salt in the world are going to bring out the good things that are already present in the world. So the good things that you are seeing in your work, in your family, in your school, and wherever you are, in your clubs, you see the good things and you bring it further forward. You bring it out. You let it shine. Where grace is, where God is mediating his grace, his common grace, we let that shine. You enhance the goodness of the world. 
That's incredible and beautiful. You bring out the good things in others around you and being salt. And the last thing of this metaphor that salt does is salt hastens thirst for water. It quickens thirst, right? If you've ever, uh, has anyone done the saltine challenge? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, the saltine challenge is a couple of us, probably youth group kids. Um, you have six saltine crackers and you have to eat it, eat them in one minute. And it's impossible. You can't do it. Um, anyone can try it. I wish I had saltines now for those who are brave enough. But your mouth gets so uncomfortably dry that you just then have this big wad of, this is another good audio clip for uh, Instagram. Your mouth gets so dry and gross and disgusting because of all the saltine, because it sucks all the, the water out from your mouth, right? So then you're just stuck chewing on all this saltine crackers. Salt hastens thirst, right? It quickens thirst. You need water because salt takes the water out from you. So for our own lives, do our lives quicken thirst for the living God? Do our lives quicken thirst in others for the living God? That's the question. When other people come in contact with us, do they feel like there's something different about their lives? There's something unique about them, and I want that. What is that? Do our lives quicken thirst for the living God? So, as salt, we have this outward journey that Jesus is inviting us into, that we are in every corner of society, that we bring out the good things that we see, the good things of grace in the world, and that we are intended to quicken thirst for Jesus in others who encounter us. Does that make sense? Yes. So the last thing that I want to say here before moving on is that the public image of Christianity, by and large, feels rather poor to me. There's, there's good moments, but by and large, it feels like the image of Christianity that's being portrayed is not really reflective of who Jesus is. Now, there's some, some things that Christians are indeed at fault for, and there's other things that are just being portrayed incorrectly and misunderstood and all that. So there's both. But by and large, it feels like we're being misunderstood or we're being portrayed negatively. Now, for, for missions, for the sake of the gospel, I'm convinced, alongside of people like Tim Keller, that we need to be in relationship with the world to help correct and change that. It's going to be people's thoughts about Christianity are going to change as they get to know people like us that are normal and not weird and who genuinely care and who show Jesus. It's people who are lived in relationship with others, who are salt, who go into every corner of society and live out their witness. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's really important that we become the salt. So observation number one, is that we have this radically audacious claim that Jesus is inviting us into. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Observation number two is the world, when it's left to itself, goes towards decay and darkness. Observation number three is that this call to be salt and light involves both an inward journey of reflection and an outward action and response to it both inward and outward. So, with all these observations, why or how does that apply to the spiritual disciplines? 
Why are we engaging with the spiritual disciplines? The answer to that is that Christians throughout the centuries have answered this call to be salt and light at different times and in different ways at different times. So at different points of history, they've said, yes, I want to be salt. Yes, I want to be light. And they've engaged in certain actions to, to effectively answer that call. There was a group in the third century. Uh, it was when the Christian faith became connected with the Roman Empire. It became like the national religion, so to say, uh, with Emperor Constantine in 312 AD. So when that happened, and there's <clears throat> in 312 AD, there were people within the church at that were using the Christian faith uh, for kind of also political gains or for social gains, right? It got connected to power, right? Power and authority in the Christian faith, and it didn't always blend well. Now, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. You can have a long discussion about that. Um, But the fact is, and we see it often, is that when the Christian faith and power gets used incorrectly, it kind of hastens people to think or to question, be like, okay, this really isn't the way of Jesus. Like, this isn't what Jesus has modeled for us, has shown us, has wanting us to step into. I love kids. It's honestly one of my favorite things to hear them singing, uh, leaning on the Lord's side all day long. Um, So there was a group of people who responded to that call to be salt and light that saw what was going on in the Roman Empire at the time. And they, they were praying about it and they felt like the Lord was leading them to go into the desert and to focus on a few things. So they created these monastic communities. And in these monastic communities, they focus on uh, silence, solitude, and prayer. Silence, solitude, and prayer. And so they go out, and really this was a response of, of an inward journey that they, they saw. They saw that there's impurities within themselves that need to be refined. So they thought, I'm going to go get alone and be with God to refine the evil that I see inside of me, the sin that's inside of me that needs to be refined. And so they go out, and they are committed to these practices. They are committed to the practice of prayer, the practice of silence, and the practice of solitude. And in this, it was the time with God that they were changed, that they were shaped, that they were molded. And so word of their kind of their character, their demeanor, their faithfulness spread back into the city. And what would happen is that people would then sojourn out to these monastic communities and be encouraged, be strengthened, and then head back into the city. It was their response to be salt and light that shaped who they were. So all three of these components that we just talked about, these observations were present for them. So for them, they saw the call and the need to be salt and light. They saw the the call for inward reflection that needed to happen and then outward change that needed to happen. And so they responded to, to that call. They saw that the world was going towards decay and then they wanted to do something about it. And so they left, right? Is that inward journey and outward. Their focus, so you, you, do you see their motives? you see what I'm saying here? You're kind of with me a little bit? Some blank stares, so hopefully enough. And so they responded to this. You might disagree with their methodology. You might think, okay, going out into the desert is not the best way to actually be salt. Fine, I agree with you. But you cannot disagree with their motives behind it. Right? The motives to focus in on certain disciplines that would shape them and help them effectively witness is great. Their disciplines of outpouring themselves in, in generosity and hospitality, other disciplines that 
are not shared or focused on as much. But they were outpouring, showing themselves and the communities around them what it meant to be Jesus, to belong to his kingdom. This focus on certain aspects of the Christian life has been consistent throughout history. There's been different groups throughout, throughout history that have focused on certain aspects of the Christian faith, certain habits, engaging in certain habits to help shape them to respond to a cultural moment. Okay, this has been present throughout history. There's other, uh, like 6th century, the Dominicans. They focused on or created this order where they followed a rule of life, what it's called. This rule of life is kind of like a trellis, that analogy that Taylor used uh, a handful of weeks ago, right? Where we have this kind of rule, this structure that helps shape our life for things to grow. So they said, okay, by engaging in these practices, it's really going to allow our life to grow, to flourish, to thrive, to be the salt and light in what God has made us to be. So this has happened throughout history, right? St. Francis of Assisi in the medieval era, we have the mystics, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, right? We have this with the Reformation, people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, they had practices and patterns and habits that they were engaged into. We see this in the Puritan movement, um, and we see this even today. Today, we have kind of this wave of, of Christianity that's focusing on spiritual formation like this, that's saying, okay, if we engage the wisdom of engaging these patterns and practices and habits are going to shape us to become engaged, focus in on what is culturally relevant for this time, for this moment, that's going to shape us. Does that make sense? It's a cultural response for us to be salt and light. The beauty of this, of all of this, is that it is the living God who changes us, who shapes us. In engaging in these practices, we are engaging in habits of a relationship. The relationship where Jesus comes and transforms us into the beatitude people who are able to preserve and protect, to lighten, illumine the world as he moves through us. It's gorgeous, and it's amazing. Uh, in just a minute here, we're going to take communion, but I just want to share with you guys um, my last thought. My last thought is, is simple. We have the highest call to be salt and light. Like, that's a radically audacious thing that we get to step into. What joy. There's no one else other than you that gets to step into this call, into your sector of society. And we have a radically generous God who is full of grace and goodness, who does not want the world to end in sin, end in darkness, end in decay. And you are invited to be his agents in that. The living God is inviting you into that work. And this involves both the inward journey and the outward expression. And it's glorious and beautiful. It's not for guilt that we're not all that we should be, but it's just the invitation into life that's further and more beautiful and amazing. And so Taylor, do you want to come up and lead us into communion? Uh, I'll pray for us as it comes up. Father, um, would you, yeah, just help us to become all that you have designed us to be, as salt and light in the world. You are um, just the good God, the God who is light, the God who preserves, the God who provides common grace for all, and the God who will restore all things in its final consummation. 
Um, so, Father, be glorified in our hearts and our lives. We love you. Amen. Thanks, Luke. Um, appreciate your thoughtfulness. Uh, you're, you have a, a way of analyzing and thinking through Scripture and our time and place. It's a real gift to our church. Um, and the way that you can do that in a way that relates to students is really cool, too. So, um, you know, one of the things Luke talked about was how we're the light of the world, and we're told that from the true light of the world, Jesus. And that's this beautiful and mysterious reality that the actual light of the world has empowered and is transforming us to be the light of the world in practical terms and felt lived reality. And the way that happens is because of what Jesus accomplished for us on his cross. That though we would be part of the decay of the world if left to our own devices, we're part of the world ourselves. Uh, Jesus has brought us into his kind of life because he did for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. He took on our sin, all, our failure, our shortcomings, the way we've been failed and sinned against our wounds, our past. He brought that into himself, paid for it on his cross, and he gives us his kind of life. We're brought up into the true light of the world so that we can be part of that story too. And we remember that every week as we celebrate the Lord's Supper because we're not just doing this as part of a ritual, and part of something that we have to do because it's what Christians have always done. The reason Christians have always done it, the reason that we do it, is because we're declaring over ourselves what is most true, what God says is true. That every sin, past, present, and future is paid for in full. That we're made new in him. So we take the elements, we take the bread, we take the cup, and we do it declaring that truth over ourselves. So uh, we take together. We take the bread. Jesus told us this was his body broken for us. And as we take, we de declare the broken body of Jesus on our behalf for us. So let's take in remembrance of Jesus. And Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And as we take, we remember the blood of Jesus that seals our forgiveness, every sin, past, present, and future, paid in full. Let's take in remembrance of Jesus. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for what you've done for us, that you did for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. We're grateful that in you, there's a new story being worked out in us that though we would be part of the decay, left to our own devices, no better than anyone else, part of the problem, as much as all of sinful humanity is, that uh, we're brought up into your kind of life, and that we're um, now declared to be the light of the world in the power of the Holy Spirit as you're making us new. So thank you for what is most true of us, that we're loved by God, we're forgiven of sin, filled with your Holy Spirit, and now called to be the light of the world. Thank you that that invitation for newness of life is available for any who would come in faith to Jesus. Thank you, God, for the ways that you're going to use us in this room and every church that proclaims Jesus, every follower of Jesus that proclaims Jesus uh, as your salt and light. So we love you, God. Would it be true? Would we learn to live as salt and light? as we're formed into the kind of women and men that you always made us to be. We pray that for every church here in the South Bay. We pray uh, for salt and light to be unleashed into the world as we follow you. And so in Jesus' name we pray.
you stand with me as we finish with the worship song? Let's sing it together, worthy of every song. my eyes. 
Let's sing, I will build my life one last time. I will build. Show us who you are, God. Would you show us the wonder and the glory of your love and your passion for us? May we feel it deep inside of our bones that the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, is well acquainted with every part of our hearts. So, Lord, let that be truth that goes deep down inside of us this morning. And it's out of that place of belonging, of being loved unconditionally, that we can reflect that in the world. So we invite your love, God. We invite it into every place of our heart. We don't hold back from you. We love you, God. We thank you that you are a loving father. It's in your name we pray. We'll see you next week.